What's up, guys? It's your boy, me, Dr. Z. Today, I got this guy. Welcome <laughs> back. back. Yep. Good to and be back. It's really great to see you, man. Yeah. This, by the way, today's my birthday. Happy birthday. I'm 40 F and 8. That's, that's a good age. It's a terrible age. Everything, <laughs> everything hurts. I was just being nice. Yeah. You are just being nice. Just being yeah. Nice. Just yeah, being no. 10 years my junior. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, the best birthday present ever is you showing up and us doing a live show right as they've made the decisions yeah, it seems for like Johnson and Johnson yeah. FDA emergency committee met. Yeah. So let's we're going to talk about Johnson and Johnson and what we think about that. We're going to talk about vaccine passports. Oh yes. We are going to talk about schools in Chicago uh -huh. and when they're going to open. We're going to talk about whether the pandemic is ending in the United States. We might touch on what's going on in India and we might do um some talk some, social media. Talk some social media stuff. Okay. So I'm excited. I'm excited too. So you just let, let me. Okay, first of all, let's make sure we're getting um, we're getting some live uh, supporter feed here. Yeah, so that we actually, can. We're actually talking to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's 1,400 people on uh, uh, I'm Facebook amazing. watching us. Okay. So that's always nice. Uh, nothing to panic about, Vinay. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people wishing me a, a, a happy birthday, which is very uncomfortable for me. Uh, let me just pop out these comments real quick. Meanwhile, I'm gonna let you tell us while I'm getting the comments set up. I'm okay. Switch to you, because I gotta do everything. I gotta switch the camera. I know. Um, You're the crew. I am the crew. Tell us what uh, is going on with Johnson & Johnson right now from what you've been reading uh, with the live uh, meeting. I know, and, and we're literally, since we're live, it's hard to keep up with what's going on on Twitter and, and trying to set up here. But I guess, um, you know, people will know that uh, about a week ago, the pause was, a week and a half ago, the pause was instituted for Johnson & Johnson, uh, an adenoviral vector vaccine. The basis for that is some women have, particularly in a certain age group, have cerebral sinus vein thrombosis um, in the setting of low platelets, which are thought to be activated in a way similar to HIT. So it's a sort of a runaway platelet activation and a blood clot in the brain. Um, and we just had the hearing where it appears they have voted and they have voted to reinstitute Johnson and Johnson. I think in anyone over the age of 18, they're talking about the warning that they're going to put on there. I haven't seen them vote yet on the warning. Warning might be something like women under the age of 50 should be a bit cautious about TTS or uh, thrombosis and thrombocytopenia. Um, so that's where we are right now, at least as far as I understand it. I have some thoughts and I'm sure you have some thoughts, but I've been following it uh, with some interest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so basically they said, okay, go ahead and keep taking it. And more or less, right? More and, or less. But here's the warning. Now, this is the problem. The damage for this vaccine in my mind has already been done That's because think, yeah. the way the public is gonna look at this is they're gonna say, wait, so you're telling me that <clears throat> this vaccine has this very small risk with, you know, especially women of this really potentially catastrophic syndrome, which is again, exceedingly rare, but you pause the vaccine and guess what? If this were the only game in town, that's one thing, but it's right. not. We have these mRNA vaccines. And in fact, I read today that we have enough mRNA vaccines to vaccinate the entire US population. So now that this has already happened, don't you think that the well is poisoned for public opinion on this vaccine? Yes, um, I do. I think the well is poisoned. I think the well is poisoned, certainly for women younger than 50. Um, I'm I, I'm happy to argue right here uh, that I think it, uh, it probably ought to be poisoned for women younger than 50. So I disagree with a little bit of their modeling. Uh, we can talk about that. Mm. But um, we have two alternatives. We've got Moderna. We've got Pfizer. The amount of people who have received those vaccines, probably one order of magnitude larger than J&J. &J, mm -hmm. um, and, and no adverse safety signal has, has yet emerged. So I think we have some 
strong confidence that those vaccines don't have, you know, they certainly don't have this problem with it at this frequency. Mm. Um, what do we have here? We have this syndrome. You know, I all along I was irritated when people tried to compare this syndrome to a blood clot in the leg. And the moment they heard about the pause, they heard it was six women, seven million vaccines were given. They said things like, oh, it's one in a million. And they made these memes that compare, you know, vaccine uh, clot from J&J versus the likelihood a woman who takes oral contraceptives for many years will develop a clot versus the likelihood a hospitalized ICU COVID patient in the first wave would be found to have a clot in one of the many studies. And the answer is this is a lot lower than those other things. Yeah. But the other answer is this is different than those other things. This isn't a blood clot in the leg. It's not an ICU patient who you've done surveillance Dopplers on and found a blood clot. This is an intracerebral clot in the setting of likely runaway platelet activation. Um, it is a very difficult problem. Um, it is a problem that can kill you with a high fatality rate. Um, and if it doesn't kill you, it can leave you uh, in a permanently disabled state. Um, so I took it very seriously when I heard about the problem. And now we have some better estimates of how often it occurs. And because of how often it occurs, because of the availability of alternatives, I think it will do a lot to the American consciousness about public perception. I think this whole episode will. Yeah. Now, now okay, so let, let's unpack a little bit about what you're saying because okay. you now have a vaccine that, again, it is exceedingly rare, but the anti-anti-vaxxers who are a, a bit of a cult in themselves, <laughs> let's, let's be totally honest, um, Really, the minute it came out, they were on the defensive, pushing the idea that this is a, this is a minuscule risk, et cetera, which, which it is a very small risk. Correct. But like you said, they have no, they, I think they have no understanding of how humans actually work. And this is why anti-vaxxers always win when you put them head to head with an anti-anti-vaxxer because they know how to prey on people's emotions, on their intuition. Okay, I'm a young woman. I have a choice between an mRNA vaccine and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I know, I've been told again and again that this risk is infinitesimally small compared to, you know, on par with being struck by lightning, let's say. Am I still emotionally gonna be willing to take a vaccine that, like you said, can cause something catastrophic? and is actually associated with it, has a potential physiological reason for doing it, at least speculation in terms of anti-PF4 antibodies, et cetera, which right. we've talked about. Um, the answer is no, many are not. Now, the thing is, what about everybody else? What about guys? What about older people, et cetera? Well, then they have to be given the information, right. but I bet there's bleed over even to those course, populations, that's right? The, yeah. I mean, we can talk about the social implications of it and the bleed over, but mm. maybe, for a second, I, I don't know, I wanna make my case about the risks or, or about, about you know what should happen. So when you hear about a bad safety signal, if your gut reaction is to say, oh, it's just one in a million and put, let me make a meme, let me tweet a meme, you, you're not really a scientist. You don't, you're not, I'm sorry, because you don't, uh, when, when a safety signal is first flagged, we very rarely know the precise numerator and the denominator. And that day I tweeted, I won't be surprised if it's actually one order of magnitude more frequently than one in a million, mm. one in a hundred K. And I think the number now I'm, I'm looking at is about 140, one in 140,000. Mm. The reason I said that is the denominator wasn't everyone who got the shot. The denominator was women in the age group who would have been susceptible or at risk of the event who got the shot. The first day we didn't know that, we didn't find that out last Friday and the answer was 1.4 million. Mm. Then the next thing is the numerator. The numerator is not six. That mm. was the numerator last week. Now mm. the numerator is 13. Mm. And there I've heard some other unadjudicated cases that they will add to it. So that numerator is also in flux. Why? Because some people may have seen this. They didn't even think twice to try to implicate it with the vaccination. Now, of course, that that cognitive circuit is triggered and they're looking for it. Right. So, so one thing is when you hear about a rare adverse event, 
you know, it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing you want to put your money on what the precise rate is that day. You need some time to adjudicate it. Now, it's a separate debate from whether or not they ought to have had a pause. Right. That's a separate debate. I mean, I think you could, one could argue that they could have paused in the age group in question. Whilst paused, they could have given it to the other age groups where there was no signal. Um, that's another strategy. But I think the wrong answer is to, to immediately leap to defending the product when you don't yet know the number. Okay, so that, that's what I'm willing to say. So yeah. I wouldn't defend it yet. In the week that has emerged, we now have a better idea of the safety signal. Um, at least 13 cases of women between the ages of 18 and 50 have this problem. Uh, it's a bad problem. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but imagine it. And you're a hematologist. And so a hematologist. This is your, yeah, this is my your, field. And yeah. in fact, I've treated many people with cerebral sinus vein thrombosis. Um, and I've treated many people with HIT, heparin-induced thrombocytopenia and thrombosis, which is a platelet factor for activation condition. You did a nice job kind of explaining that path. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like my attending approves now. <laughs> I'm like all happy, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm talking fast, but yeah. No, it's yeah. good. I, uh, uh, but you did a good job of explaining it. And I guess I would say, it is a thorny problem to manage. I mean, often we are, we are in the case of HIT, we're using things like Argetroban. And I don't know if you've ever dosed Argetroban. It's very tough. Oh, yeah. it ain't so easy to keep it therapy. I mean, it's a difficult thing. Yeah. The treatments are difficult. Because you can't give heparin. You can't give Lovenox. I mean, yeah. I, I, we are, I guess uh, some people think you can give like Vondaparinox, the pentasaccharide at the end of heparin. Mm -hmm. Some people think there are different ways you can get around it. Mm -hmm. um, but right now with this particular condition, I think there is some genuine uncertainty about how you ought to treat it. The other thing I'd say about CSVT, when these patients have clot, sometimes the clot gets to be profound and sometimes it occurs in the setting of concomitant cerebral hemorrhage. They're also hemorrhaging. Right. Often we continue to anticoagulate based on scant data, but the idea that the outflow track is obstructed and if you don't alleviate that pressure, you'll get even more hemorrhage and bleeding. It is not always a great situation. Yes, it You're can- You're pushing and pulling at the same time. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. It can lead to death. It can also lead to, I think, neurological impairment. And we're talking about people who are getting something who walk into it, you know, totally fine. So, so actually, let, 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 okay. let's double down on that piece because yes. these are people who are healthy, who have this much, you know, whatever their risk is of COVID and complications of COVID, which in, in Britain they were quantifying as like one in anywhere from 0.9 to 6.8 yeah. in 100,000 being ICU hospitalized. But now you're giving them something that puts them at, you know, this one in how, what did you say? One in 145,000? I think one in 150K. Yeah, 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 yeah roughly, ballpark. roughly. Yeah. At least now it may change in a day or two. Right, it might get right. to one in, but it's not. It's not going to go back to one in a million. It can only go one way now. You know, it's only going to go it. to one in one hundred k. It's not going to go to one in a million anymore because at least you know we've ascertained something about the numerator denominator. Got it. Got yeah. it. It's funny. I'm forgetting to switch the cameras occasionally. I'm trying to multitask. Speaking of like poor form, uh -huh. uh, bad science. So th this idea that then you're telling people, okay, now make an ed. What we're saying is, we're saying, okay, here's the information. Yes. Now you can make a decision, but here's a question, and you and I may agree or disagree on this. Does the, can the public be trusted to make those decisions given information? I guess I would say that um, uh, everyone, the, the right person to make the decisions for you is you, for everything, I think, for everything. However, we use regulation to prevent you from making decisions that at the outset cannot be in your own best interest. You're not positioned to make those decisions. That's why you have to wear a seatbelt in the car, even if you may choose not to. Mm -hmm. That's why you have to wear a helmet when you ride your whatever motorcycle. I mean, there are some things we write. That's why you're not allowed to have access to a drug that we never tested to in a human being. These are regulations society imposes to protect you from decisions you might make out of ignorance or desperation or lack of knowledge. Um, and so, so I think it's 
it's it's good for a society to limit some choices people have. Mm. The question is, what should they do here? Mm. Um, okay, I want to give one more aspect. So, so we have some. Now we're knowing a little bit more about the risk of clot. One in one hundred fifty k. What is the risk if you don't get that vaccine? Okay, this is the crux of it. It's a risk benefit analysis. What is the benefit if you do get the vaccine? And I would say the benefit is if you get a J and J vaccine now. Um, you will have a reduced risk of getting SARS-CoV-2, mm. a reduced risk of all of the dreaded complications, including the ICU and death. Um, and if you don't get the J&J vaccine now, the counterfactual is you will likely get an mRNA vaccine in some weeks, mm. some weeks. Mm. So this is the crux of the debate. Mm. Um, what is the difference in your outcome if you get this one now versus waiting a few weeks? And it has to do with a lot of moving parts. Here are the moving parts. One, um, if a woman in this age group gets SARS-CoV-2, what's her risk of dying? Mm. Some of the statistics that people have used are from the first wave last year. And those death rates are significantly higher than the death rates are in the modern hospitalization. Yeah, um, and actually that's, we should really make a point about that. Yeah. The, the, the care of COVID patients has yes. changed a lot, assuming that the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. Yes. It's really gotten a lot better. We're not overventilating people. We have you know, ways to manage now with dexamethasone, et cetera. Et cetera, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, remdesivir, uh, polyclonal drug antibody cocktails. Uh, uh, and, and maybe we're not doing as much cowboy medicine. We're not perhaps mm. iatrogenically hastening death. Mm. The other variable that goes into this calculation is what is the rate of SARS-CoV-2 in the community that these people are in? Yeah. And so um, right here in California with SARS-CoV-2 rates that are bottoming out, I mean, I think, you know, you're talking about, it's a different calculation than potentially in a hotspot like Michigan was a week ago. Now Michigan's yeah. on the way down too. The next thing I think is um, the agency of the person, the type of person who may leap for a J&J vaccine who the counterfactual would be that they'd have to wait three weeks, that might be the kind of person with the wherewithal, the, 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 the commitment to abiding by restrictions even longer. You know, so we're not even talking about, you know, who's the person who's gonna jump and get the vaccine sooner? Right. Might be the most compliant person, the most not compli the least yeah, compliant. Yeah, right? the one who's wearing masks, who's right. distancing, who's washing hands, not going out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is not an easy, I mean, I, I just saw right now they're tweeting slides and they say Johnson & Johnson has done some modeling and the modeling suggests under a number of assumptions they're calling conservative uh, that it's better to get the vaccine now than it is to wait. I, uh, I question many of these assumptions. I question, uh, I mean, I'm happy to question them. I don't think they know what the case rates are. I don't think they know the rate of positivity in the next 12 weeks. I don't think anyone knows. If we did know, we would have had better predictions all along this pandemic. We've frankly fucked up. I mean, I've seen every model be erroneous, you know, for the whole pandemic. And now you want me to trust your model. So I don't think they know that rate. I don't think they have a great, um, I will have to look at their model when they someday post it on the internet. Um, but I'm not sure what, what death signals they're using. The death rate for a 20 year old is different than a 50 year old woman. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, it's quite low in a 20 year old woman. Um, and then the last thing is, these particular people who your decision will impact, uh, who are these people and what might they do in the other world? Uh, frankly, it's, it's pure speculation what, what that would be. Uh, so it sounds to me like it's a complex risk calculation that's probably beyond the fold of someone who isn't a genius in risk calculation, like maybe yourself. Well, I'm not a, I don't claim to be a genius, but but uh, I do think about such things and do a lot of work in this space, but I don't claim to be that good at it. Well, well so here's a question. What if, what if we uh, developed a, uh, you know, a government sponsored risk calculator that took all the data you were talking yeah. about and put it through an AI algorithm and then you could put in your data and it would tell you, okay, we think you should get the, like it's paternalistic I, I to some it. degree. I we think it. you yeah, should yeah. get the vaccine. Yeah. Okay, so I, I love the way you're thinking. And I guess what I would say is in situations like this, what would have we outlined? You know, just from talking for a few minutes, we have outlined the idea that it is a complex trade-off. 
that you know at least one thing for sure. You know the floor of the clot risk. We've, put, we've established the floor. The floor can go up, mm. but it ain't going to go down. We know the floor of that risk. We don't know the risk on the other hand with the detail. There's a huge uncertainty interval. Mm -hmm. um, what I think is the purpose of trials and drug regulation, the purpose of empiricism mm -hmm. is that, and the reason we don't just approve drugs based on AI and modeling is that we're not that good at that kind of stuff. Mm. We're not that good at these kind of situations. The, the threshold for giving a vaccine is some reasonable confidence that the benefits far exceed the harms in that population. That's a medical principle. Mm. That confidence comes from empirical data. Doesn't come from some model that somebody did postulating certain rates of COVID spread that may or may not be realized in the real world. So, you know, putting my cards on the table, I've been tweeting. I think the right answer, in my opinion, was to rescind approval for women younger than 50 or potentially 55 just to rescind it entirely, to take away that choice because there are all alternatives and because the uncertainty here is too great um, and to keep it in everyone else because I think that in men, now they have advanced safety signals. It's it, We see nearly nothing. Um, and in older people, again, it doesn't appear to be affecting them and they may still stand to benefit. Um, but so that's where I fall on it. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. This, this is really interesting, man, because you're not saying, okay, this is fascinating. You're saying... T regulations are in place to try to keep you from doing something that's abjectly not in your interest. Yes, that's right. If we have enough information in this uniquely specific population about this uniquely specific complication, why not say, okay, it's not approved for y'all, It, but everyone else for whom the risk is way outweighed by benefit, go ahead and it's approved. So you're saying a selective disapproval of this. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't do that. They are they're keeping it in everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and we will see, uh, then, then we get to the next point, which is that, you know, they're, they're not selectively disapproving it in this cohort of women, uh, but um, who actually gonna want that? You know, who's actually gonna want that's, that? That's my thing. Nobody, I get messages all the time. I don't want this thing now. And on top of that, you hear what Johnson and Johnson did in the in the beginning of this. They got went out and their PR people said, well, you know, clots can be a problem with all the COVID vaccines. Yeah, so well, I it turns guess. out that's not really true, right? The, be, the what is it? The best vaccine is the one you're offered. Well, unless you're in the 50s, so then and you're a woman, then you probably want right. to go to the other one. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. So there's uh, a better uh, one for uh, you. Uh, right? yeah, so and there's a better vaccine for yeah. your population that's available right. widely. Yes. Right. Um, I, I guess what I would say about it is, um, you know, obviously I have a lot of um, annoyance with people whose reflex is to defend rather than learn. And I think that was the crux of the problem. Mm. And I think that the reason they leap to defending rather than learning is because they are triggered to some degree by the anti-vaxxers mm. who are irrational and they uh, you know, say things that don't make sense and they push for, I think, uh, policies that are frankly deeply detrimental and harmful and they mm. say lots of non-scientific things. And in response to that is a group of people who feel like we have to combat that at all costs and they themselves don't realize that to some degree, if you reflexively leap to defend something, you compromise, I think, who you are as a scientist, uh, if you claim to be a scientist. I, I mean, I agree 100%. I'm looking at some comments here. So Koodle1 on uh, Facebook, or on YouTube says, Canada did a selective disapproval. I didn't know that. I haven't they? seen that yet. I haven't seen Jeez, that yet. Man, you know, uh, okay, you never trust anything you read on the internet. It may well, be true. <laughs> Maybe true, but I guess I'd say, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, I've been in five places once today. Okay, uh, uh, so that that I think that's that's the right way to handle it. The next thing I would say is, um, um, you know, I, I think I think I think I think we're getting at something that's kind of hard to articulate, which is that um, when it comes to drugs, when it comes to devices, when it comes to medicine, uh, the standard you really want to show is that the net benefits outweigh the harms. We're proving you that with data. 
we're not proving that with a model. We're not proving that with sort of some sort of speculative way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's that's really why we do studies in all the right, different fields. Right, yeah. right. Now you and I are vaccinated. Um, we happen to get the mRNA because those are the ones that were available. And the the question now is, so let's like try to start to pivot this. Let's say, do we need the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in the United States to get to a, a state of equilibrium where we're happy? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a question that is um, uh, an incredibly contentious question because I think the truth is that um, the equilibrium state where things get really good and dare we say that's called herd immunity, but that equilibrium state, it's not a static number. It's a number that varies. It varies based on um, the, uh, uh, I guess, number of people who are sick, um, the rate with which vaccinated, unvaccinated people come into contact, how much we resume our activities, whether or not we uh, continue to have different restrictions. Um, it varies. And so it, and, and it may even vary by the time of year. I mean, it may be different in the winter than it is in the summer. Um, very slightly differences. And it may vary by region by region. So I think... Um, as what that number is, I don't know the answer. I know I know Tony Fauci likes to look at what the polls say and then he says, the answer, but <laughs> I don't do that. I like to, I mean, I think we're gonna find that answer when we find it. Um, but so so let's let's do a thought experiment because you know, our our mutual ancestral homeland here, India, yes, is yes. suffering incredibly right now. Would you say that a Johnson and Johnson risk benefit analysis in Indian young Indian women in that age group would uh, uh, bear fruit in, as we see it currently right now with 300,000 new cases a day in India. Yeah, so that's a very different situation. So I said, you, if you have J&J &J in India, give it to every man you can find, give it to every uh, elderly woman, and the tra and, and, and then the, break the tra trading trade-off point there might even be women in their 40s, might be women in their 30s. I don't know exactly yeah. because I don't know what um, mortality outcomes are like for a, a, if a 25-year-old woman in India were to be afflicted with COVID. I also know their hospitals are absolutely saturated and they right. have 300,000 cases a day. So it is really a dire situation. And, and yeah. there, I think, as you as you point out, it could be incredibly favorable risk-benefit profile to say AZ or J&J &J. Um, right now. It, it, and that's very different than California. Yeah, and yeah. we really don't know why this is happening now in India, do we? Is it because they opened up their, you know, they're having mass gatherings, Hindu celebrations, political events? Is it because the first wave affected mostly young, poor, or uh, older, poor people, and the second wave is affecting younger people? What's going on? What makes you think I know anything about India? <laughs> <laughs> I'm racist. I'm profiling. I'm like Vinay Prasad. Come on, guys. Like, what the heck? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, well, um, I want to come to that, but there's one thing that, you know, I've, I've been meaning to say because about the other topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what have they done now? You know, they've approved it back. It's going to be on the market. It's going to be for everyone. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll see what they put as to whether or not they put a warning. There will be some women who still w are going to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah from 18 for sure. to 48. Yeah. 18 to 50. Who are those women going to be? You know, it's not going to be the person who was critical of it or on the fence it's gonna be the most sort of um, enthusiastic vaccine proponent, right? Mm. And I bet that person is the person who's most likely to have been willing to abide by restrictions for another 16 weeks. So they didn't even necessarily need to rush to get a vaccine. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a an hypothesis. interesting, that's you know an interesting hypothesis. I do exactly. The yeah. I mean, I think the way you have to think about it, it's even more complicated than their modeling. Mm. You know, their modeling always assumes the average person is a person's behavior changing. You're mm. gonna, somebody's gonna get the vaccine, mm. a few people. And those people are gonna do so because they in their heart believe that the net benefit profile is favorable. Mm. I bet that you know, that kind of person is the kind of person that had they not gotten it, they would have been very good about staying in their house. And mm. you know, they're not the kind of person who's having get togethers and yeah. choir practice in their garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, no, so, that makes sense. That you know, makes so sense. I, I, think it's, I think it's even more complicated, which is also why you need empirical data and not sort of theory. 
Okay, now back to your question about India. Yeah, well, so one okay. people are pointing out online for yeah. the Indian question: Is yes. it a variant issue, or do we have a more contagious variant or oh, more gosh, lethal variant? They love variant? to say variants. Uh, they love to say variants. Variants, but, uh, variants, variants. Variants. You know, yeah. I guess it would be interesting to see uh, just a Google frequency of the use of the word variant this pandemic, because it was quite, 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 quite. Vaccine was approved. Quite, quite, quite. Vaccine was given. Very, 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 very. <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah, because <laughs> how else will the press make money if they have nothing to talk about? Because look, let's. Okay, okay. This is something that I feel very strongly about. I feel, barring something new that happens, and I'm not going to say the word variant because I actually don't think it's going to be a variant. Barring something new that happens in the United States, our pandemic is winding down here. I mean, it's because of vaccination. Um, if you look at what's happening in Michigan, you could go, well, okay without vaccination, Michigan's vaccinated, but they haven't vaccinated the people who are getting sick. Right. Vaccines are the way to prevent this illness. Now, again, it's a question of risk benefit for individual people. Like right. what's your risk of COVID? And we talk about that in, 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 depth, in depth. But I, I think that once the press and the, 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 the hoi polloi in the public health community that are really enjoying this thing, and they're, and they're not everybody. I, I, I get valid criticism when I say stuff like that from people that work very hard. I, I'm talking about the people that really, this is like, it's like, you know, again, like Lord of the Rings, like the Nazgul, it's our time. Like we've been waiting all this time. And 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 when you have nothing to talk about and you're no longer in the limelight, that can be like having a rug pulled out. Right, right, right. Whereas I think you and I are rooting for this thing to be over so people stop looking at us, right? right. I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'd say um, a couple things. I mean, uh, the reason I kind of laughed at when I heard variant was that, you know, uh, although it's easy to say, one does not need to postulate variant to explain what's happening in places like India. Pandemics come in waves, and uh, and 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 although many people were optimistic that what they had seen earlier uh, was the worst of what was to come, it's clearly not the case. And mm. now they are in uh, the worst they've ever seen. And but who knows what their future will be? I mean, you have a population that's a huge population, vast. Uh, with tight living quarters in many cases, um, with uh, uh, no uh, uh, vaccination. Um, in fact, they are they were exporting a lot of their vaccines to wealthier nations mm -hmm. uh, for months, uh, which is part of the uh, I think the hegemony of uh, of vaccine politics, um, mm -hmm. and and that they were just uh, a setup for where they are now. Um, I, I have a, my heart aches and breaks for what's going on there right now. So I think it's a tough tough time. It's it's horrible to watch. Yeah. I mean, and and you know, Mike. I think my cousin is actually ill. Like, Sorry I mean, this that. is, yeah, it's it's uh, legitly upsetting. But the thing is, you know, you can look at Brazil, you can look at I right. mean, the, the, the parts of the globe are now having, so talking about vaccine hegemony, I mean, yeah, okay, we sucked early on at, at and we had a lot of disease. <laughs> and you know, when I say we sucked, it's like, well, is it something we did or is it just the way this disease plays out in this population of fat, <laughs> ill, chronic disease? I. You know, Jay Bhattacharya on the show was mentioning that it was something like 80 odd percent of people who've died in this in the US had two or more chronic diseases. I haven't seen that stat, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I think a tremendously high percentage have been people who were in uh, nursing facilities. Nursing facilities, mm -hmm. yep, and, and already. Certain, yeah, already. So yeah, it's, a qu it's quite specific in terms of, so US suffered a lot, we have a lot of chronic disease, but now India, you say, well, maybe they don't have all that chronic disease. Although I'd argue actually, there's a lot of skinny fat diabetes. Of course, yeah, yes. right? Modi, I mean, yeah, right. Uh, uh, and uh, and so they are they at, are prime at, at a lower BMI. Their rates of insulin resistance are higher, of course. Yes. Let, let me let me double down on that to explain to people. So, even though they're not overtly fat uh, that you can measure, they have visceral fat and a pattern of uh, insulin resistance that really puts them at risk for not just diabetes, but but other things, hypertension, metabolic syndrome, et cetera. And that may be why we're seeing now this, you know, this dry brush catching on fire. Right. Uh, um, but you know, you, 
I mean, one of the points you're making that I think is an astute point, which is that, um, you know, uh, uh, first of all, we have to be honest. There's not a single person I'm aware of who has accurately predicted pandemic waves in any nation consistently. Mm. I mean, all the modelists, the people who are paid hundreds of millions of dollars mm. to run these centers, that they've been notoriously wrong. Mm. Uh, so that's one thing we have to say. What le I mean, why do nations do better than other nations? Um, I think it is easy to ascribe everything to the actions of people. That is the natural temptation. You did well because you did this. We did poorly. We did this. You did well because you did this. We did poorly. You know, that kind of thing. However, it's possible. Human actions play a big role, an oversized role. That's one bucket. There are other buckets. The other buckets are, you know, when you were alerted to the problem, what was the seeding load in the nation? How many people already had the condition? Bingo. It might be different in New Zealand and Australia than in the US. We don't. We simply just don't know the answer right now. We'll find out in five, six years. The next thing is, um, are there advantages in in terms of the natural uh, habitat, the fact that, you know, how, how tightly you can police and control your borders, the rate with which people enter your borders, um, uh, New those Zealand, things, China, et cetera, yeah. The, th the next bucket, the types of people in this country. I mean, Australians are people who um, are lovely. I love, I mean, I was just in Australia and I had a great laughs with many people, um, but they're people who follow uh, the orders of government. And somebody was telling me um, that uh, they seal the states off the, the whatever they- uh, Individual provinces Individual or provinces states, yeah. and, and I forget the term they use in Australia. Right. Um, they seal those off. You think you can seal off a state in this country? Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Are we the kind of people that you tell me to do all these things? We're all going to do it. I mean, you know, some of us are. Not all of us. We're Americans. We're quite a range of people. Um, and we we are the people who gave the middle finger to England and left. We're not the same DNA, yeah. right? Yeah, we're not the same. We're not the same yeah. types of people. Yeah. Um, somebody told me that like what they're doing now. In the, if this person is in Australia and living in the states and they want to go visit, and they say if you want to go visit, you have to fight Australia. You have to pay like three thousand dollars to stay in a hotel for the quarantine right. period, etc. Um, you think you could get away with imposing that in this, in this country? Mm -hmm. You know, so I think the, the place is different. The culture is different. Um, so it's the actions of you do. It's uh, the, what the people do. Mm. Um, and then I think, um, you know, it's all of these things probably to some degree. And then and then the other thing is that some of it is stochastic. It's random. It's chaotic, which means in chaos, you have, you have five um, people with COVID in one country, five people with another, five people. Some of those, it'll die out just by chance alone. Mm -hmm. It'll die out. But in others, it'll, it'll, it'll be the brush fire. So and, I think it's very hard. And actually, I think with COVID, it is an over-dispersed disease in that their stochastic effects, random effects are amplified because who's a super spreader? Where are they? What's going on? Right. Once that seeds, you are so behind. And I think in the US, probably they'll look in retrospect and go, oh, there were a few super spreaders that set the place on fire well before we knew what was going on. Right. And uh, we don't have the ability like they had in China to shut down everything without regard to human freedom or dignity. <laughs> we, they just, we, we don't do that. Right. And Our we're not New Zealand having yeah. the grace to live in the Southern hemisphere in a summer during the beginning of the thing and being able to close our borders. And, and so, with a population of 6 million in a certain amount of land area with certain density and certain uh, social safety net. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I think, so speaking of that, now speaking of the inequity of the whole thing mm -hmm. and stochastic effects and vaccine passports, man. Oh so here we are now with an Relatively unequal global distribution of vaccines, not relatively, drastically, but even in the US, it's like, well, the older people got it a little bit first, healthcare workers got it first, now it's open to many. What you wrote recently on vaccine passports, what's your thinking on this? Yeah, I, and I've been doing even more thinking since I wrote about it. I guess, what is a passport? Don't wait, wait, stop. No, you form your opinion and you defend <laughs> it to the death of an hyperside. You don't adjust your priors. <laughs> Silly me, silly yeah, me. Silly you, <laughs> thinking from the alt middle. Why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. Um, I guess to define what a passport is first, I guess, what is a passport? A passport is, you know, some non-forgeable record you had this done. 
if we're going to talk about that card that's in my wallet right now, you know, that ain't exactly the most robust document. We could all print that, <laughs> print that shit out and write some shit on it. Okay. So right. that's easy. Okay. The next thing is it's got to link it to you, which means as you and I both know, if you were an Indian man who went to college and you wanted to go to a bar, you just needed the idea of any other Indian man. <laughs> 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 you get right in. Wait, am I wrong? <laughs> oh, you down to clown with brown? Heck yeah. Here's just, your card. They look and they say, I, looks oh, the same to me. I don't know why the white guy's talking white. with an Indian accent, but you know. but it's really, it's a, it was kind of a joke, but not really a joke because it, it, yeah, it, it works. Yeah. It used to work. Um, anyway, uh, so, I, so I've read. Obviously, just, uh, um, uh, so, so anyway, so you needed to link it to the person. So that means either fingerprint or retina or, or, um, or, uh, uh photo. Um, and then the third thing is it has to be a gatekeeper, a gatekeeper for something, mm. you know, people make a big deal about, is it a government issued passport or a privately issued passport? It doesn't matter. It's, somebody put it and it's a gate and blocks you. Yeah. And then the next thing I was thinking is like, why are people so eager for this passport? Why are you like, like, I really want us to have the passport. And I think they, they have good intentions. They like, they want us all to be safe and they think this is the way to get safety. Mm. Um, and, and I started to think long and hard about it. And, and I think part of it is they want themselves to be safe mm. and they want, they think it'll help their safety. So I thought a lot, a lot long and hard about it. And, um, and I have this little thought experiment. Can I walk you through it? Oh, yes, you can, sir. <laughs> okay. So here's my thought experiment. Uh, and here I'm confining my remarks to domestic passports. And in my thought experiment, there are two movie theaters, movie theater in the world, um, uh, uh, without a passport. And then let's get to the movie theater in the world with a passport. Okay, movie theater in the world without a passport. So a movie theater this summer, you know, there's no passport. Who's gonna be in there? There'll be three groups of people. One, people who've been vaccinated, like you or I and, and older people, we've been vaccinated already. What's our chance of something bad happening to us? Almost nothing, zero. Zip. Yeah, um, uh, uh, super, super low. Yeah. Um, okay, some of us have been vaccinated and we are receiving active chemotherapy, B-cell depleting chemotherapy. Very rare, a few of us. Mm those people have some slight risk if they go to the movie theater. Yeah. To be honest, they know that, they probably won't even, might not wanna go. Right. The next group, people who can't be vaccinated. Who can't be vaccinated? Well, right now, kids under the age of 16, they just don't yet have an approval. They can't be vaccinated. They might be in the theater, but you know what? What's the chance something bad happens to them? Mm, Super quite low. low. Quite low. The third group in the, in the world without a passport, they're people who have opted not to be vaccinated. They've chosen not to be vaccinated. Could something bad happen to them? Sure. They're in the movie theater without being vaccinated. Something can, but they're also the ones who have chosen not to be vaccinated. Mm. Okay, now let's imagine the world with the passport because I'm trying to figure out who's the passport helping. Mm. The world without the, with the passport. Okay, group one, those of us who've been vaccinated, are we any safer? We might be from 99.999% or 99.999998. You know, we're slightly safer, but we're already super safe. Right. The next group, the kids, are they safer? They were already super safe. They're slightly super safer because we got the passport. We're blocking people who are unvaccinated. The third group of people, um, the B, the person with B cell aplasia who got vaccinated, maybe they are going to come into the theater now because they know there's nobody to be there who's unvaccinated. So maybe a couple people in the theater who otherwise would stay home. Right. The third group, the unvaccinated people, well, they're not going to be allowed in the theater. They're not allowed. They don't have the vaccine. The passport is excluding them from the theater. Are they better off? And I said, well, it depends on what they do instead. If you assume they go home to their houses and they knit, you know, then they'll be safer. Okay. Are they going to do that? <laughs> the people who don't get vaccinated are probably not the type that are going to go home and knit. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if they're going to go home and knit. Not only they didn't get vaccinated, they didn't get vaccinated. They went to the goddamn movies. They paid their money and you didn't let them in. Yeah. I would imagine they're not so happy. Right. Okay. So here's what they're going to do. They're either going to go to their garage and say, you know what? My 12 buddies weren't vaccinated. Come over to my house. Let's watch a movie. Okay. What's the risk now? Actually, the risk in the whole population might be higher. 
It might be higher because actually now instead of dissipating them in a movie theater with certain you, ventilation, you, you packed them on a garage. You created a super spreader event. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the next thing they might do is, I mean, and, and they might have other gatherings in uh, uh, places that don't have fire codes and packed places. They might spread COVID more. It might make all of us more unsafe, people don't think about. The other possibility is perhaps, God forbid, some of them are so angry that they do what angry people do in this country, which is they do things that are unpredictable, chaotic, and can harm a lot of people. And if one of those two bad things happen, you've undone all the good. Undone all the good right. of it. So the more I think about it from a policy standpoint, as a policy person, as mm. somebody who's like, if I was in charge of government, would I do it? I would say, you know, it's different in this country than it would be in Australia, perhaps, because they have different sort of rules and uh, obedience. Mm. Uh, they also probably have a lower rate of people who are opting not to do it. Um, in this country, it would be an incredibly polarizing thing. Um, it'll lead to backlash. Um, People will be angry. It has unprecedented, and after one year of this kind of suffering, the anguish people are under. I don't want to. I don't want to put them in the squeeze like that. Uh, who knows how they'll act out? I, that's the best argument I've ever heard because it doesn't bring into bear things where people go, well, I don't care about that, like equity issues, fairness issues, things like that. You can pull that off the table and just go from a pure policy standpoint. It's not gonna improve outcomes, so why do it? Why then deal with the equity questions of like the fairness questions and so on, and the liberty questions, and the fact that our population is different. Just, just forget it, you don't need, this is what I said when I did my first piece on vaccine passports. Here are the pros, here's the cons, here's what I think, why are we talking about it? Get everybody who wants to be vaccinated, vaccinated. Everybody who wants to be vaccinated, key, vaccinated. Yeah. And we're already getting there. Like I think half the US population now has had one vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 happening anyways. I don't think we need it. I think we need to then look at things like, well, can we go ahead and stop talking about opening schools and just open schools? Right. I right? want to come to that in a second. But I yeah. guess I would just echo your last point, which is um, you're right. The particular argument I'm advancing is not an argument from principles. It's not an argument about equity, although I am concerned about equity. Yeah, me too. Uh, but it's not that argument. It is an empirical argument that one, although you hypothesize this will make us all safer, one, there are reasons to doubt your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. The true answer is I don't know if you'll be more or less safe in these worlds. I'm just giving you enough sort of inkling that mm -hmm. perhaps it won't go the way you think. And a lot of policy things don't go the way you think. Yeah, yeah like ACA. Uh, what about the, the Indians and Cobras? You know this story? Indians and cobras? Wait, what? Tell you know, me this. this. Is a, it's an a, a old policy issue. I think uh, when uh, Britain uh, conquered India, of course, you know, they held us uh, our forefathers. And I miss those guys so much. You know, <laughs> my people, the Zoroastrians, we prospered under the British. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, so I've read. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so of course my, uh, you know, my uh, you know, my father was born in British India, uh, you know, so yeah. that was a different world. Yeah. Um, as was my uh, grandfather. As, it, as you must yeah. be, yeah. yeah. Maybe, my, my grandfather, maybe your father. My, my dad was, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, yeah, he was born in 39. Yeah, 39. Yeah, yeah and, and actually my grandfather had a handlebar mustache and a vaguely British Indian accent. And really? he was like, you know, the Brits, at least they brought order. <laughs> That's my <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> the um, the unintended consequences story that comes out of Britain and India was, uh, you know, obviously there are cobras in India. They didn't naturally occur. And, uh, and I, I think in some places they uh, paid uh, for people to, if you kill a cobra and you bring it to us and you show us the dead cobra, um, you know, we'll give you some money as, oh. a, as an incentive to get rid of cobras. And guess what happened? Indians uh, started uh, having cages and farming cobras, oh. grew a lot of cobras, killed them, and then brought them in. Yeah. And then, uh, so they, were, they had many more cobras than there were. And then when they did away with the policy, guess what happened? They opened all the cages. <laughs> yeah, so there's a bigger problem when they started. But I mean, I guess it's the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> Every time you say Cobra, I just think of G.I. Joe though. You know, I think of uh, Cobra Commander. Hey, Destro! But uh, that's not the Cobra we're talking about. But see, this is again, it's like top-down top solutions that are they think with good intention, 
great intention, they have these unintended consequences because nobody's actually empirically looking at what could actually happen. That's why we need better artificial intelligence to replace the lack of straight up intelligence in some people. I, I think in this case, you're onto something, which is that the passport issue is motivated by a strong emotion. And I think there are two types of emotion. One emotion is if I did it, damn, I should be safe. Right. And I think the the sort of the cognitive error is that you are already super safe. Yeah. And this is gonna make you very, very modestly safer, but you know it's gonna take a lot of political capital to accomplish. The other cognitive error is that people who choose not to do it are bad people. And mm-hmm. I think that's also into the passport issue. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a moralization thing. And the other thing, and that goes back to like Fauci not letting vaccinated people be okay hanging out right? Like, oh, you still need to wear a mask. You still need to do this. I got to tell you this. Now, now I'm just going to rant for one second. I am tired off this. The Bay Area has a very low case rate. The chances of me getting COVID unmasked with other people out there is like infinitesimally small. The idea that we still are required to wear masks outside makes me violently angry because it's spring. I Today I went hiking, it's my birthday. I went hiking on my own trail, which I've complained about many times. I did not bring a mask. If anyone was gonna ask me about it, I was gonna get in a fight with them. That's how at the end of my rope I am. And I'm with my wife who's like triple masked because she's she's compliant. She's like, well, but it's the law. And I'm like, I'm not playing that game. You know? Well, I guess uh, my understanding of the law is that um, you have to wear a mask outside if you cannot maintain distance. Correct. Okay, okay. So, okay. Well, then- so there's a loophole. So you just there, say, I can maintain distance. I can maintain distance. There you go. Yeah. And then I guess I would say, I mean, I don't know if it was, uh, it's a stupid rule to wear the mask outside. Okay. It, uh, it's a yeah. stupid rule right now. I agree. It should be done away with. It was probably a stupid rule in the beginning. Yeah. Probably yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. yeah. It was probably always a stupid rule. Yeah, yeah. It was always a stupid rule. It was always one of those rules where, you know, you could see it and made us feel good. We right. knew we were the good people. Right. We're virtuous. Not the bad people. We're the yes. virtuous people. Obviously, right. we're the good people. You probably knew who I voted for too. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's yeah, no. true. You kind of, you don't have to put it on your mask. Yeah, you just no, put the mask on, you right? Know, you know, yeah. who I'm voting for, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, that wasn't really necessary. And I think that Paul Sachs, actually the ID chief at the Brigham, I think he wrote a New England Journal, a little blog post about it. Didn't get as much traction as it ought to have. Uh-huh. Um, probably because, uh, you know, there's still a few people in this world that people don't like dunking on. And I think Paul, Paul Sachs at the Brigham ID doc, excellent, uh, you know, great guy and, and nobody wants to to dunk on him. And, and you know, he was probably right all along. He's obviously right. Mm-hmm. Should we look at some comments you think? Or sure. do you want to talk, do you have something you really, really want to talk about? No, though? I guess I got all worked up by the J&J thing. Yeah, that, we, I think it's good that we talked about that because that's going to be all over the news right now. People are worried about it, man. I, I get a lot of, you know, it's crazy, dude. Like I get people messaging me who run small companies and they're worried that their employees aren't getting vaccinated. And I say, well, I think, Whoever needs to get vaccinated, wants to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And the employees that aren't vaccinated, I don't think they're gonna put you at very high risk depending on where you are, you know? So we have this latitude. Let's see what kind of comments we have here. Um, New Hampshire dropped the mask mandate a week ago and now cases are soaring and schools have gone remote, Savannah. Okay, explain, explain. What's going on with that? I guess, well, I guess, I mean, I guess one is, I, I guess I don't know for sure that the facts in question are true, however, uh, simply because they occurred in a row doesn't mean they're they're due to each other. That's right. right. Yeah, that's so right. That's, it's that's, a correlation causation thing, and and this has been going on throughout. And again, I, I I'm leaning towards the idea that now that 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 COVID is so widespread, our interventions on a public health level are not as powerful as we think. We have much less control, and instead, the one thing we do 
control quite well is that, you know, once you get enough people vaccinated, it's just less, you know, wild, wild brush to, to catch on fire, you know? I'll say one thing on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My interest. Uh, you know, Michigan a couple of weeks ago was going through hell, you know, their cases were exploding. Mm. And, uh, you know, I said something like, uh, send them vaccines. And then other people said things like- um, Lock them down. Lock them down or, or tell them to wear the masks a little more, you know, this thing. And I'm like, you know, when, when your house is on fire, you call the fire department, you don't just go throw a bucket of water on it, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what's going on in Michigan. And then, and I think there are a lot of misconceptions. One misconception was like, when does the vaccine start working? Start working. Yeah. I don't care when the highest antibody titer is, I care when it starts working. Right. And the answer is in a randomized control trial, the cap, the cumulative frequency plot, it's not a capital plot, it's cumulative frequency plot, separates at day 10. That's when it starts to separate. Mm. The end point is symptomatic infection. You have had COVID for several days before you are symptomatic. If by day 10, we can see in a population a difference in symptomatic infection. When did it start working? Several days before day 10. Uh, so it's working even a few uh, days after you give it. So when when the house is on fire, it is putting water on the fire right now. They ought to have done it. I don't know why. Actually, I do have some theories why the government you know, did, were, was slow to or didn't divert uh, vaccine supply there. Um, but that's the answer. When When there is outbreaks in this country, which there will be, you take your vaccine and you push it there and you ring vaccinate people. You don't. Ask them why they didn't stay home. You don't make them suddenly make them wear a mask on the trail. You don't tear a swing down off the playground. You don't, you know, all this bullshit we do to make ourselves feel better. Um, you give them the vaccines. You have the answer. You have the solution. Yes, that's <laughs> what I think too. And you know, look, 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 we're just two docs, right? There's plenty of other docs who are like, lock it all down. But I'll tell you this. Those are only the most loudest docs on Twitter. If you poll a bunch of on the ground physicians, they're not sitting here going, lockdown, do this, do that. Even when they're working 36 hour days taking care of can COVID. I, can, I'll just say one thing yeah. about the lockdown. Okay, I know the vaccine's efficacy because we've run a couple of, we've run many randomized control trials. How much does a lockdown work? When does a lockdown work? Uh, what was the seating condition that a lockdown works? How long does it work for? Which countries does it work in? When does it work? We don't know the answers to these questions. Mm -hmm. uh, someday we will, probably in a decade, we will have really good studies that I think are done by all of the people who are quiet right now because they're actually scientists and they reserve judgment until they actually can do the right study. Mm. And we will know. And I won't be surprised if many of these people who say these things turn out to be quite wrong. So. Yes, I agree. You know, the burden of proof is on you to do something very disruptive to people's lives like that. I think you get like, you get like one crack at it, you know, yeah. like for, you know, the beginning, Early. Like, right, it's yeah. fine. But you know, when you start to like, you talk about like year long, years of prohibitions. Mm -hmm. I mean, at some point, someone's got to ask for some data. I mean, like, <laughs> some, I don't know, at some point, someone's <laughs> gonna be like, why? I mean, why? you can just yeah. do stuff. I mean, they're rolling the dice with hundreds of millions of people. And, and it's, not, it's not a harmless thing, right? Like, you know, I mean, Jay will talk at length about the potential harms of these policies. I'll say one thing about the harms. You know, the, the other thing that I keep seeing is that like people were like, um, people were like um, uh, suicide. They're like, um, they're like, uh, they're like, well, you know, suicides are actually not going up. They're stable. Right. Right. And I'm like, you know, suicide is not a marker of uh, good mental. It's like a very extreme thing. It's right. like saying that like, you know, 
uh, my relationship with my friends is good as long as I don't commit homicide. You know, like, uh, yeah. So as long as you don't kill so your homicide fr- rates haven't gone up. Yeah, so that means it, that generally it, social cohesion's there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right, 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 right. right, right. It's like, it's like, yeah, but yeah. you know, people can be have suffering and anguish and emotional and, thing and not get to that level. And they actually did show that. They showed that yeah, the, the levels of anxiety and all that are true. I mean, this is the thing, man. I think that we are still barely out of the primeval ooze in terms of our understanding of our fellow humans, complex social systems and things like that. And anybody who thinks they know that and is absolutist about it, you should walk the other way. And unfortunately, I think those people may be making policy in this country. There's certainly tweeting policy in this. Oh shit, I forgot to change the camera. There I am. There's certainly tweeting policy in this. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) You're right. There we go. Hey, it's too much to do, man, Uh on my birthday. It's too much to do. You're asking so much of me. Actually, I told you, I'm like, let's go live. And you were like, wait, what? Live? (laughs) Why would we do that? These days you need the safety net. But um, no, you really do because you can get canceled so easy. You want to talk about the people to avoid in life? The people to avoid are people who don't like to laugh. If they don't like to laugh, if everything's like, that's not funny, then that, all right, all right, it's not funny. Okay, I'll go my way. (laughs) I want to have a good laugh. I don't want to be unfunny all day. So angry with you right now, Vinay, because <laughs> well, actually, I don't like to laugh. If I must be full disclosure, you know, uh, you always went, you know, when I when I'm in your neck of the woods, and I always come to hang out with you. Uh, the reason is, I enjoy our conversation. You know, me too. And you, the, the the audience doesn't get to see this, but although we'll just do it now, how we talk like with each other is it's every other thing is punctuated by either outrage or laughter (laughs) every five seconds. And it's just a joy because it's back and forth and we're working out what we believe in real time based on what we know. And it's just fucking great, man. (laughs) It's a good conversation, the art of conversation. And you know, so this is, I'll now make a little philosophical statement. The third space, like Robbie Pearl was on the show the other day talking about why doctors are so miserable. And one of the reasons is the loss of that physician lounge where we could get together and talk so much shit and work stuff out, talk about like, okay, how do we think about this patient? What's going on? What's going on in the news? What an idiot this guy is. I mean, it's great stuff. That's a great point. Do you have one at UCSF? Uh, I've never, I don't have the key. But I will I will say that actually probably as a physician, you know, in a teaching hospital, which I know you've you've spent many years at, um, it's it's always like, you know, at the end of rounds, you guys chat for ten minutes or at the begin you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Those conversations are like vital for everyone's emotional well being to recharge, um, and to maybe think about a patient in a different way and you know, that's like the best part of the job. Yeah. I agree. It, it really is. That's what I loved about, and I told Robbie that when we did our interview, we, I was talking about that. I was like, I actually started getting a little emotional because I was remembering the early days of my job at Stanford mm-hmm. where I had a team of house staff, everything from a medical student all the way up to the R2, R3. I had a group of people in my multi-specialty group that would tell me, we are happy to subsidize your salary as a hospitalist because you provide such amazing service to us as orthopods or surgeons or whatever, and let us do what we're good at, thank you. So collegiality, connection, mentorship with the house staff. We had the time and the resources to see our patients. Epic was read only at that time rather than writing and reading. And so we got data in, but we didn't have to become data clerks. So. It was, and it was so awesome. Like the social workers, the case managers, the physical therapists, we were all friends walking through the hospital. You couldn't get down the hall without like high-fiving someone or fist bumping someone or like, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Oh man, it's a train wreck. That was a joy, dude. It was a joy. And the problem is when they start pulling each piece away because they start mandating more productivity, the EHR becomes a bigger part of it. House staff work hour restrictions mean less house staff coverage. Uh, next thing you know, I have no house staff and I'm just by myself. Yeah, 
That was the end of it. That's when I was, I lasted one year after that because I was like, everything that made my job meaningful has been slowly taken away. And the problem is when do you pull the plug? Do you continue to slog on going, this is the best I can do? Or do you go, this isn't me? Well, you know? I, I, unlike you, I have no career options. So I got <laughs> I gotta stick with it. I gotta stick with it. You, you got, got no choice. I got no choice. Well, you're, you're, you're ten years. You're ten years junior to me. When you get, it's not the only difference. When you're yeah. 48, then uh -huh. you'll be like, uh -huh. nobody's gonna tell me uh -huh. how to live my life anymore because well. it's gonna end soon. That's how I feel. I woke up this morning. I'm like, everything hurts. I'm tired. Well, what changed? I'm one year older. Not really. It's, yeah, I mean, I think you're you're doing a great job of uh, reminding me the pros and cons of academic medicine. Okay, the pros are, um, you're right. Um, and and they, they have been taken away, but the biggest pro, of course, is getting to work with people who will someday sit in your chair or in your shoes. Yeah. Um, the, the trainees, because like, you know, whether they, in my line of work, you know, I always work with the fellow. So the fellow is going to eventually be an oncologist. Although, you know, so often they have their interests are in like one specific disease type or the other. My interests are very diffuse. Um, uh, but uh, nevertheless, they, they are interested. In, we have some shared interests. And so you could tell them what little wisdom I have to impart. Um, I think the other part about my job I like is the... Um, you know, research in the sense that sometimes you have some ideas and I find some junior person who's way smarter than I was at their age. And I tell them this just vague idea and then they go run with it. And then they come back to me like two weeks later and they say, hey, let me show you this. And they show me this graph. And I'm like, literally like Magellan. I'm the first person who, maybe that's not the right analogy. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like- uh, uh, Captain Cook? I don't know. Some uh, some explorer, the first to see something. I'm yes. the first to see something. I'm like uh, Neil Armstrong. Okay, there you go. Analogy. Yeah, I'm the first to see um, what this data looks like. And that's kind of cool. Like, I don't know, that's science, that's discovery. Like, you know, it can be whatever in my line of work. Uh, so that's the plus. Um, I think the downsides are uh, uh, the funding. You know, I talk about academic medicine. You know what it's like? It's like being a, you know, Mary Kay cosmetic salesman. You know what this Ooh, is? You're yeah, in the 1980s and 90s? Yeah, it's a total pyramid scheme. Exactly, it's this yeah. crappy company where I don't, I don't know the, all the details, but I vaguely recall from when I was a kid and my mom, my mom's friends, um, they that you would like buy this case of cosmetics and then you'd have to uh, sell it to your colleagues. And Nowadays, the nurses do it. It's called LipSense. It's actually a oh, real really? thing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a real thing? Yeah. Um, but you know, it feels like that as a professor because like I'm like going around my hat in hand saying, hey, would anyone want to give me some research funding so I can keep my project going? Like, you know, like I'm like, what kind of world is this? Like, I'm like <laughs> basically like, I, uh, you know, I work for university, but I'm like trying to get all my funding from the outside. So it, it really feels like you're an independent vendor. Uh, that's terrible. I mean, it's a terrible system because the people who are controlling the purse strings, by the way, we never talk about Fauci, one of the biggest purse string controllers. You talk about a guy who, you know, I like a great deal, but he's done some things that I am critical of. But you wonder why so few ID doctors are critical of this guy. You know, he's the guy who yes. controls the funding. Yes. So you don't want the guy on TV, the guy who controls the funding, because no one can say something bad about this guy. Um, even when he says things that are, I think, wrong, like the one vaccine, two vaccine debate, he was wrong about. Um, the mask flip-flop, he was wrong about. The herd immunity threshold, I don't know what he's doing, but he shouldn't be inflating it based on what the polling is. And if he was... He shouldn't be telling Don McNeil from the New York Times. <laughs> so, oh man, you know, those are some of his. That's a powerful thing too, because yeah. fat, fat people don't realize that people are scared to speak out if you're in academia and academia is where you should be speaking out. Dude, I know you have a hard out. No, I do have a hard yeah, out, yeah, huh? So it's, uh, we got like just a, five, five minutes, a couple okay, minutes. Okay, so minutes. you know what we'll do is let's, um, let's see if there's a comment or two here that we can, um, we can do here. Oh, speaking of which, you know, I gotta say this, uh, one thing that's been nice, I used to have to hustle for sponsors all the time. Now I don't worry about that. My supporters who subscribe to the show That's pay good. for all this. It's so liberating, dude. Like I can say what I want. I don't have to worry. Acad academia is a pyramid scheme, says Carissa Davis. She's a PhD, so she knows. Um, That's true. 
David Stanek says, when will the CDC earn its trust back? I feel like it's lost for about half the country. I agree. Um, but I think it can, it can, it can happen, right? Maybe. <laughs> well, I guess I would say it's broader than the CDC. Yeah. It's, it's public health. Public and health. I guess I would say that if you want to earn someone's trust back, you first have to admit that there's a problem. And I think that a lot of people have not yet admitted that there is a problem. Mm. And I think the problem is multifold, but the problem is overstating things when there's uncertainty. The problem is turning matters of science into matters of morality. Mm. The problem is tribalism, making us more tribal, mm. pushing us. And then the, the last problem is intertwining public health and science and political processes. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think those are fixable issues, but we better get to fixing them because otherwise we're all, I mean, you need a reasonable public health apparatus to get anything done that needs to be done. Although that's- The part we'll question. agree on yeah. is that it desperately needs to be fixed. Yes. yes. I wish I share your optimism. <laughs> <laughs> Vinay Prasad, my brother, this has been a joy, man. Uh, we gotta do this uh, again. I think we'll mix live and pre-record because they're totally different vibes, man. Uh -huh. Like I like this live vibe because it's a little intense. Like it's you intense, get that, that cortisol. Whereas when we're doing pre-records, we're like, okay, let's talk some smack. It's more, it's more, it's more like how we talk. Like that's uh, more like yeah, exactly. Yeah, like There's a lot at stake, right? Because you actually have you have a lot more to lose than me. It's hard for me to get canceled anymore because I have this platform. But man, you're still you. We need you. We need you in academics. We need you doing research. We need your voice. We need your podcast plenary session. We need this. Um, and speaking of needs, I need you to share the show. I need you to comment. I need you to. If you wanna become a supporter, do that. Otherwise, hey, you know Vinay loves you. You know I love you. Um, that's it, that's it. We gotta go, right? Yeah. Man, this was real. All right, now here's the fun part. I gotta learn how to stop the show. So I'm gonna go over here and stop the show. All right, guys, I love you. We is out. Peace. And this is the part of the show where Z-Dog told me to just sit here quietly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he stops the show.